All right, we're in Matthew, looking through the Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 21, 22, and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there are people who think they know Jesus Christ, but are in fact still dead in their sins. They call Jesus Lord and can point to amazing supernatural works and wonders. But Jesus never knew them and they will be lost for all eternity. He never knew them in a saving way. They never had a personal relationship. And so you wonder, how can that be? Uh, some people would even wonder, how do I know I'm saved then? If, if uh, you know, these people can call Jesus Lord and do these works and still be lost. Well, the answer is going to be in our understanding of the little but powerful phrase, he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's the person who does the will of God that is assured of his salvation. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Let's first take a look at the credentials these professing people will flash to prove they knew Jesus and try to gain entrance into heaven. First of all, they call Jesus Lord. And so we would say that they acknowledge his authority and the need to submit to him. How could anyone really do that and not be saved? Well, liberal ministers and Christians do it all the time. By liberal, I don't mean in the political sense, although many liberal ministers and Christians are also political liberals. Liberal Christians are sometimes referred to as secular or modern or humanistic. It's an umbrella term for Protestant denominations or churches within those denominations that view the Bible as something less than the Word of God. Uh, Sometimes they call it the witness of God. They believe that it contains the Word of God, but that it isn't really the Word of God. And they interpret it in a historical context through tools of modern critical analysis rather than approaching it reverently uh, and allowing the Holy Spirit to interpret it. All you have to do is watch any religious program on the History Channel or the Discovery Channel and see these people interviewed, and you know what I'm talking about. Many of, Some of them are priests uh, or ministers, uh, you know, masters of divinity, PhDs in their field, uh, they they attend church, they pastor churches, uh, but they say things like, you know, well, I mean, they don't believe that Daniel wrote the book of Daniel because there's prophecies in it that he couldn't have known about. And so therefore, someone else must have written it after it happened because they're too detailed for it to actually be God giving you history in advance. And they apply all of this, mod, what they consider the tools of modern criticism, but really they just start from a, a wrong foundation. They start from the foundation that the Bible is not really the word of God. It's not really inspired. And so therefore, what is it? Uh, you know, it's, it's a compilation of stories. We were talking the other day how their favorite thing to do is to find similar stories in other ancient literature that they believe predate the Bible. And so... You know, the Bible has its flood story. Well, they find ancient literature that predates the writing of the Bible that has a flood story. And so they assume that this is just some kind of universal symbol among the peoples of the earth. 
and when the Hebrews come along, they adopt it for their own use, that there isn't really a, a Noah, there wasn't really a flood, it's just a mythological story adopted for their use. And, and what they forget is that, sure, you know, the, the Bible didn't exist in, in its written form uh, prior to some of those things, but it all started in the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve, and, and when Moses comes along and he writes and compiles, you know, those first five books of the Bible, he's writing about ancient history. He's not, you know, thinking, hey, I heard this story of Gilgamesh somewhere, maybe we can use that and, and turn that into a, you know, a story that will mean something to somebody. So, uh, so these are liberal Christians uh, who, who don't approach the Word of God as the Word of God. As a result of their approach, liberal Christianity is that which either denies or it sees as unimportant many foundational truths of the Bible. Uh, as I said, as for the Bible, they don't think it's inspired or inerrant or infallible. As for Jesus, for example, they don't think it's essential that he was God in human flesh or that he rose bodily from the dead. Uh, many of them believe that he was just a, a Hebrew man who studied many ancient religions and was exposed to different things and uh, had you know it was extremely charismatic and developed his own philosophy was killed for it and now it you know was picked up by others and we should adhere to some of the basic teachings and so he wasn't god they don't know why he came and died and they certainly don't believe he rose from the dead or they'll just say if he did he did if he didn't he didn't i remember when they uh, recently they thought they had found the bones of Jesus again, you know, that whole thing. And, and they were interviewing some of these guys and they said, well, it really wouldn't matter to our faith one way or the other if Jesus' bones were found. You know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, you know, because that's not the... And what they're really saying is, hey, Jesus is my Lord, but that's not the Jesus that I worship. The, the Jesus of the Bible who was God and rose from the dead, that's really not the Jesus that I, I call Lord. And so you, you begin to see how a person can call Jesus Lord but Jesus says, well, I don't know you. <laughs> you know, I don't know what Jesus you're talking about, but it's not me. Then, of course, there are many non-Christian cults. They certainly call Jesus Lord, but they mean something very different. Uh, the Mormon doctrine of God, for example, does not correspond at all to the Christian and biblical doctrine of the Trinity. The Mormon doctrine of God includes many gods, not just one. Mormonism teaches that we are what God once was and are becoming what God now is. Uh, God was once a man who became God. We are men who are becoming gods. Uh, and that's obviously in direct conflict with Christian fundamental orthodoxy. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, a Mormon would say that they call Jesus Lord. And they do, I'm sure, I've never really heard a Mormon pray, but I assume that they pray to Jesus and call him and Lord. They don't really, we have a friend that they? goes with us and they don't, if you say in Jesus' name, they don't... They don't go for that? that yeah. Pray in their own name? Yeah. What about the prophecies and exorcisms and wonders? Well, just because a person says he's doing these things, it doesn't mean that they're genuine. All you have to do is watch a miracle crusade on Christian television uh, to see that what they call exorcism is just some kind of excess emotionalism. I've known Christians... Uh, who you know cast out the demon of lust or the demon of lasciviousness or the demon of gluttony and uh, you know it's essentially just uh, 
you know, you laying hands on somebody and identifying their sin as a demon and then saying you've cast it out of them uh, and then telling them that they've been delivered. Uh, and so that's a, that's a common thing. Um, often their so-called prophecies never come true. This is one of my favorite things about super hyper-Pentecostal people. They have all kinds of prophecies for you and for life and none of them ever come true and then they just keep going on. Uh, with their prophecies, and nobody thinks that's strange. Uh, you know, I guess they believe that you someone somehow God's will was thwarted, and so uh, and their wonders can be contrived. I've many times mentioned healings, supposed healings I've seen on television, where uh, you know, rise up and walk, and well, the person can walk a little bit because they're in a walker, you know, or on crutches. So I mean, you know, they have some mobility. Uh, and, and, you know, they're not leaping and jumping and praising God like the layman at the beautiful gate. They're, they're energized for a moment to, to walk a little bit, you know. And, and sometimes the evangelist or the healer will even say, more strength will come to your ankles as you continue to walk, you know, and stuff. And I'm thinking, wow, this is so different than the way Jesus healed people, you know. And, and so... Um, the de- second thing, the devil also has power. We see in, even in the scripture that Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts, he did things, but not in the power of God. A person can be deceived by the devil into thinking that they are doing God's wonders. Uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of these psychics and uh, sorcerers really that are on television reaching over to the other side and talking to departed loved ones, uh, they they say they're Christians, uh, and yet at the same time, you know, the Bible is clear that we're not to have any contact with mediums or spirits or the dead and that kind of... And so they're in direct conflict to the Word of God, but they consider themselves gifted by God and Christians and able to do this. And so you know, I'm going to let God sort all that out in the end. I'm not saying that they can't be Christians, but there's certainly... Uh, a discussion that should take place there as to why God would say, hey, don't do this, you know, and 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 then they can claim to know him and do it. And then sometimes the Lord can use an unbeliever to accomplish his purposes. Caiaphas, the high priest in the New Testament, uh, uttered a word that turned out to be a word of prophecy, but he didn't know what he was saying. He, he you know, was uh, at the trial of Jesus, one of the illegal trials of Jesus, when he spoke about uh, what was coming upon the nation of Israel. The scripture says that he didn't know it, but he, what he said was prophetic. And so God can use unbelievers. Uh, it, it frustrates us and it, uh, we don't quite understand it, but those are just three of the you know, ex, uh, explanations we could give for how these exorcisms, miracles, and wonders take place in and through the lives of those who don't really know the Lord. Now, it says here, one thing that characterizes all of those who call Jesus Lord and perform these wonders is that they practice lawlessness. Now, I really think this is the key, and I hope you'll follow this. It's not, not that it's difficult to understand, but uh, it, it, it's, I think, the key. The phrase in the King James Version is workers of iniquity. And so you can translate this, they practice lawlessness or they are the workers of iniquity. And it's interesting because it's a quote Jesus is quoting Psalm 6, verse 8. And I think it would be helpful to, excuse me, quickly read that psalm. And so I'm just going to read it to you. If you want to turn there, you can. Psalm 6, but I'll just read it. 
David is the psalmist and he says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me for your mercy's sake, for death in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Okay, now Jesus quotes the psalm, and uh, the heart of it really is that he, like David, suffered. And of course, Jesus looking ahead to the cross, he would suffer. But there he would be heard of God and delivered. And so, uh, knowing what we know about Jesus and applying this to him, uh, you know, looking at people and saying to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, He's, I believe, referring to his experience of suffering on the cross. That is where his enemies assaulted him, but that God assured him and delivered him. So it could be that by referring back to this psalm, Jesus is simply saying that all those who have not come to him through the cross will be lost, no matter their outward words or works or wonders. In other words, they are still those that are in the crowd that does not recognize who he truly was and is God, their savior. And so David, David, you know, said, hey, there's this whole crowd of people that is is against me. And and yet God is going to deliver me. And he can say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And so Jesus says, just like that, out of the vast, you know, numbers of humanity, there's going to be a crowd of people who are still at the foot of the cross rejecting me. And, and though they may call me Lord, though they may know something about me, uh, they, they have, you, you know, haven't really come through the blood of the cross. They haven't had their sins forgiven. They haven't received me. And I will have to, I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Uh, and that's where this little phrase, he who does the will of my father in heaven connects. Because the will of the father is given to us in John 6, verse 40, where the Lord says, This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so thinking of humanity as as a crowd of people confronted by the cross, there are those out of that crowd who see the Son and believe in him and are granted everlasting life who will uh, be raised in the last day and enter into heaven. And so the will of God is for you to see Jesus lifted up on the cross for your sins and to believe in him. It's for you to be born again. And so really, this isn't, uh, you know, uh, this isn't something to, to kind of trip us up or fake us out. It's like, hey, you think you know Jesus, but you might not because, you know, you can do all these things. And how do you know if you really know him? You know, and people read this and they think, wow, this is freaking me out. You know, how can you call Jesus Lord? How can you do this stuff? But it's really very simple. Jesus said there's always two crowds. And he just got done talking about the wide gate and the narrow road. He said there's always two groups. And, and there's one group that say they know me, but they don't come through the cross. They, they, they deny those fundamental truths. 
Maybe Jesus died for the sins of the world. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he rose from the dead. Maybe he didn't. He, maybe he was God. Maybe he wasn't. Uh, what do we know about the Bible? It's probably written after the fact. Let's apply modern criticism. And so, and yet they go to church. They pray to Jesus. They would call him their Lord. They would, uh, in fact, they think they know Jesus better than we do as fundamental Christians because we're so backwards and antiquated and ridiculous in thinking that. You know, when we have all these modern tools of criticism and understanding, how could we believe these these things? Uh, and and yet Jesus says, "Hey, you know, you're you're those in the crowd. You're rejecting me. You you've rejected God's revelation of who I really am and why I really came. And so, though you say, Lord, Lord, I don't know you. We have no personal relationship. If you're born again, you will hold fast to orthodox foundations of the faith." You'll say that Jesus is Lord and you'll mean that he always was the Son of God existing with the Father and the Spirit, that he was God come in human flesh, that he rose bodily from the dead and is alive forevermore. And you'll receive the word of God as inspired and inerrant and infallible. Uh, we, we won't, you know, it's not that we have to be perfect or we have to bring forth a certain number of works or anything like that. It's really very simple. Jesus is just saying, there's going to be a lot of people that think they know me, but they don't. And, and so uh, how do we know him? We know him through the word of God. And so that's where the attack usually occurs. It's, it's the, the assault on the word. And those who have torn out most of their Bible because they don't know what is really, you know, Jesus and what isn't, uh, these, are, these are the people that the Lord, unfortunately for them, is talking about.